sponsored by friends of David Wicks, Zichrololi Bracha, in his memory. Lilat Nishmat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel, Zichrololi Bracha. Okay, so the Jews have left Egypt. They left Egypt as a result of the Makot, I guess. Uh, the last Makah, of course, was Makat uh, Bechorot, which is even hard to imagine the severity of it. And yet, after the Jews left Mitzrayim, the Egyptians managed to get it together to chase after them. And that's the parasha that we're going to look at. The Pasuk says, Vayirdefu Mitzrayim Afreihem, Vayasigu Otab Chonim Ahayat. And the Egyptians, uh, they chased after them, and they, they caught up to them when they were camped by the sea. Kol sus rechev paro uparashav, sus rechev, right? There were susim, horses that pulled chariots, uparashav, there were the cavalry. The Chelo Al Piachirot, name of a place, Lefnei Baal Tzofon. That's where they were. Rashi says, uh, so that's the that's Pasuk Ket, the background to the story that we're going to now uh, uh, learn the encounter between the Egyptians and the Jews after Yitziat Mitzrayim. Uh, there's there's another encounter, and so Pasuk Yud says Parohi Kriv. So there's a whole series of verbs. Parohi kriv. He came close. Parohi kriv. I guess paro means all of the people with paro. I mean, paro is one person, but. The reference is to all the people who were with Paro. And the Jews lifted up their eyes, I guess in some sort of surprise. They were surprised at what they saw. Mitzrayim Mitzrayim is, uh, you know, the name of a country, the name of a people. It means all the Mitzrayim, or all the Mitzrim, Mitzrayim. I guess it's okay. Nosea Achrehem, suddenly they picked up their eyes and they saw the Egyptians were all running after them. Vayir Uma'od, and they were in fear. Vayitzaku b'nei Yisrael el Hashem, and this is the essential theme of the story. This is what happened. And this is what should not have happened, or might not have happened. These words, you see the words at the end of the Pasuk, mm-hmm. and they were in deathly fear, and they screamed out to God. So it, it, in other words, it's as though the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim had never happened, because if anything should have resulted from the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, it was a certain level of confidence that Bnei Yisrael should have had, that they would, that they would persevere, 
that they had it under control, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would be supportive of and defender of B'nai Yisrael. But it's as though nothing had happened. It's as though nothing had happened in the past. And here B'nai Yisrael are confronted by some a picture, and it's as though there's no background to that picture. It just started now. The story just now started. By they were afraid. And by Yitzaku B'nai Yisrael HaLashem. By Yitzaku. The word by Yitzaku, I mean, we'll look at the Rashi. We see that Rashi says, if you look at the word by Yitzaku, you see in Pasuk, uh, in Pasuk uh, Yud, Rashi says, by Yitzaku, Tafsu Umenut Avotam. They grabbed onto the skill of their forefathers. Right? Who are their forefathers? Here the Rashi says, Bavraham Uomer, Ela Makom Asher Amad Sham. Amad Sham means he davened, that Avraham Avinu davened. Be Yitzchak, it says, Lasuach Basadeh, to have to speak out in the field. Right? So Yitzchak was also davening, and Yaakov, it says, why you've got Bamakom. He came to the place, and he you know, also davened. Chazal say that all of these are references to davening. So when Rashi says, go back to the beginning, avotam, they grabbed on to the manut of avotam. Except for one thing. Except for one thing. You know the Chazal say that Avraham invented shacharit, and Yitzchak invented mincha, and Yaakov invented ma'arif. Now, I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean that they davened exactly the same way we davened. It doesn't mean that. But it meant that, it meant that it was, there was a regularity that had to be imposed upon davening. That usually people davened because they had a specific, they were, they were motivated by a need, by a specific, specific need, like Yitzchak and his wife, they, they, they wanted children. So they davened. Avram and Sarah davened for children, for the future, right? Like the... Uh, I like that. <laughs> okay. So, but... but Vayitzaku uh, is like... It's like a word that, that implies a hopelessness you, you don't even know what to ask for. You're not even asking for anything. You situate, and, and we'll see that that theme is carried out. But let's go back in the Rashi first. First, the beginning. Paro hikriv. Hayalo paro karav. Paro came near. Hikriv is, in Hebrew, is called hifil. Hifil means, I did it to you, right? Hilbish. He addressed him, right? You do something to somebody. That's, that's his ill. So Rashi's Rayalo, the Tobar Karav. Mao he kriv, he kriv at smo, vinita mates likadem lifnehem, kemoshe hitna imahem. He went first, he, he put forth great effort. He did more than you would have thought because he was in this leadership position. So you see that Paro, it's interesting. Paro was beaten down again and again in the Makot. He had to go to Moshe Rabbeinu and ask for forgiveness. 
and say, no, okay, we'll let you go, or we won't let you go, right? That was Paro. He was negotiating all the time from a weak position, and here he's still functioning. Now look, the Pasuk says, look at the Pasuk again. So what does Rashi notice? He named Mitzrayim, singular or plural. Well, it could be either, right? Mitzrayim could be the country Egypt, the people Egypt, right? Could be singular, could be plural. What's the verb that goes with Mitzrayim in the Pasuk? Nosea. What is Nosea? Singular or plural? Right? Singular. Right? Singular. So Rashi says, I don't like that. Why is that? Why is it a singular verb when you know you're talking about the people of Egypt? You're not talking about an individual. So Rashi says, Rashi says, No, it's hard to avoid being reminded of. It's hard not, I mean, okay, you can't really say it, but it's hard not to be, not to connect to Matan Torah. Except by Matan Torah, it says, Maybe there's like a, you know. In any event, So you know Rashi. Rashi, he's not going to quote a medrash which is fantastic unless it's really necessary. I mean, Rashi is, is a, a person who's interested in pshat, even though Rashi has a respect for whatever Chazal say, but he's not going to quote the fantastic medrash unless he really thinks you have to. So what's the fantastic medrash? They saw like some, somebody flying around in heaven, the heavenly officer of the Egyptians. Right? That's what that was flying around. In order to help them, like there was the Tsar of Esav. Remember the Tsar of Esav? Yaakov had a fight with the Tsar of Esav, and that fight determined the relationship between Yaakov and Esav. Here also, oh, there's the Tsar of Mitzrayim flying around in heaven coming to help the Egyptians. Now, why did Rashi quote that? <laughs> I mean, after all, it's, it's not shot. You can't say that the Sarah of Mitzrayim is somehow embedded in the puzzle here, really. I mean, you have, to, you have to have a lot of imagination to say a thing like that. So what's the imagination? So Rashi says, I, I really don't understand why the people, the Jewish people, were nervous. They had God backing them. So Rashi needs a rationale for the nervousness of the Jews confronting the Egyptians. I mean, after all, they whacked the Egyptians 10 times, more maybe. All the firstborn were dead. Why were the Jews afraid? So Rashi says, well, Chazal said that the angel of heaven, they, so the Jews could look up to the sky and say, well, maybe something has happened. Maybe the situation has changed. So yes, it's fantastic, but it's necessary. Those Rashi doesn't make things up. That's not Rashi, except grammatical things, which he doesn't make up either, but they're not in Chazal. What I mean, he doesn't make up things that are not in Chazal unless they're about grammar. Grammar and geography a little bit, but mostly grammar. But here, Rashi says, Chazal say this fantastic thing, but I want you to know about it. 
to us. He says to us, I mean, we're after all the, 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 the junior student body of Rashi. And so, so Rashi says, you got to know this. Why do you have to know it? Because the Jewish people were afraid. And why were they afraid? What happened to tip the balance? What happened that changed them from the people who were proud, who were happy, who went and they took stuff because God promised Abraham Avinu that the Egyptians would give them whatever they want, the gold and the silver. What happened? So along comes Rashi. And Rashi says, Rausasha Mitzrayim or Mitzrim, Noseya Min Hashabaim Lazola Mitzrim. They saw this apparition coming to help the Egyptians and they said, oh, now we're afraid. Now there's something to be, now there's something to be afraid of. So that's what I think Rashi, that's what Rashi, Rashi says. So now we're up to Vayitzaku, right? Vayitzaku Hashem, the end of Pasuk Yud, they screamed out to God. So you have to know that Rashi is a little bit misleading at first. Rashi says, Tavsu umanut avotam. Vayitzaku. I mean, they, they wanted to do something. So Rashi, like, Vayitzaku, Vayitzaku is, it does, it's, not, it's not a word which implies intelligence. It's, you know, you scream when you're in pain. It's not, it's not a panacea. It does not do anything for you. It's not like prayer. Prayer has this has a positive aspect to it. How it works, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. We're not here trying to convince everybody to go and pray. I'm just saying that the content of prayer, as we know it, if you read the Shemona Esrei, if you read the Shemona Esrei in any language in the world, you understand that prayer is supposed to be effective. It's supposed to yield a result. Does it always yield a result? No, because we have no way of evaluating, of making the cheshbon, they would say. Of saying, you know, they're, they're like, in, in heaven, there's this big computer in heaven, and the computer says, you say to the computer, uh, refine me, I, I, I need good health. So the computer computes how many things I've got going for me, and whether good health is a possibility. So, it, it, so whether, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it's not because the tefillah doesn't work, but because there's so many other factors that we don't know about that it doesn't work. But, uh, but at least I'm able to formulate, I'm able to formulate what I'm doing standing before God. By Yitzhaku means I can't formulate it. I can't say it. Right? It's like, it's like if somebody's in the hospital, the doctor comes and says, what bothers you? And he doesn't want you to scream in pain. That's not going to help him. Right? Uh, he wants you to say something. He wants to say, I want a certain kind of pain to be relieved. Something. You have to say something that hints at what the problem is. So Vayitzaku is a wordless response to tragedy. But Rashi upgrades it. And Rashi says, that they davened, like Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And that's real davening, because that's how we do it. We say, okay, Abraham, okay, Yitzchak, Yaakov. What was Mishin Zacharain? What do I have to have my pain mixed in with Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov? So I say, look, you, you, you turn to, to God and you say, I know that I can't daven. I mean, I know that I'm not a davener in the sense that 
my davening is going to have an effect on what's going on in heaven. But I just want to say that I, I learned how to daven from Avram Yisrael Yago. I mean, I may be a poor student, but still I am a student, right? You know, uh, uh, it's like uh, the older you get, the more you appreciate high school, elementary school, if you remember it. It's like I'm a student. I didn't do that well. I wasn't so outstanding. I didn't make you proud then. But now I feel good that I went to that I went to the school. So Rashi is upgrading is upgrading the the the, the which really means I'm in pain and I can't formulate it. I can't say what it is. I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to say. But Rashi says, no, no, they doubt They doubt Pasuk Yud Aleph. We see the pasuk for Yom Yomuah Moshe Amibli and Klarim in Mitzrayim. It's done Is it because there are no graves in Mitzrayim? Lekatanu lamut b'midbar. Ma zot asita lano lotsiyanu in Mitzrayim. So I don't know. So you see the result of the of the frustration, right? If it's correct, as I say, that Vayitzaku b'nei Yisrael al Hashem is a statement of frustration the inability to speak to God, right? The ability, the ability to make sense out of their situation and the ability to kind of present themselves to God in a reasonable way. Vayitzaku. Then the continuation of the frustration makes sense. They forgot that Yitziat Mitzrayim was miraculous. They forgot that Yitziat Mitzrayim was, was, was divinely ordained. They, they, they just overlooked the whole thing and they say this, this terribly sarcastic statement, is it true that there are not enough graves in Egypt that you took us to die here? And this is the Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the Moshe Rabbeinu becoming Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Because, because the real leader is the one who's blamed. The one who's blamed for everything. Everything terrible. I mean, he's, that's a sign of leadership. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a reversal. It's like when children complain to their parents. Is it because they think their parents could do it? Or because they think their parents can't do it? I think it's because they think their parents can do it and don't. But if they thought their parents could do it, I mean, I remember once, I remember once somebody said, it was a, a yeshiva, and one of the one of the Rashi yeshiva said, ah. he was talking about other members of the staff, and he said, oh, that, that one is a meshugane, and they was talking one person on the staff who was a little bit uh, a little bit off, so he said he couldn't mean him because he's really meshugane. You only could say somebody's a meshugane if he's not a meshugane, but if he is. That's Babish Lashon Hara. You can't, you can't do that. So he says, Hamibli ein kvarib b'mitzrayim. All right, we'll skip, we'll skip the Pasuk. We'll skip the further reference of the Pasuk. Pasuk Yud Bet. Alot zeh adavar shedibar neilech mitzrayim leimor chadal mimenu v'naavdat mitzrayim kitov lan avodim mitzrayim mutenu b'amidbar. So you see that B'nai Yisrael did not get it. The Pesach says, Chadal mimenu, leave us be, and we will serve the Egyptians. They didn't understand what the issue was. At this moment, they didn't understand the difference between slavery and freedom. 
which the Torah tells us again and again and again, right? You are you were slaves to to slaves, and now you're going to be free. And this whole idea of slavery and freedom didn't uh, didn't mean anything to them. They wanted that they they didn't get it at this point after the ten plagues, after Yitziat Mitzrayim, after the the chase. Uh, uh, up to Yamsuf, B'day Yisrael did not have a clue about what they were doing and why it was important for them to leave Mitzrayim. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vayove Moshe La'am. Moshe Rabbeinu becomes the leader. Again, Alti Ra'u. It Yatsu Uru at Yeshuat Hashem. Stand up. Be counted. You'll see the redemption from God, which God will do for you today. You see them, you won't see them again forever. Interesting. You won't ever see them again. You know that there are no Egyptians, Egyptians in the world. There are, I mean, the people who live in Egypt are Arabs, different people. Pasuk uh, Yud, one second. Yud Gimel. Uh, all right, Pasuk Yud Dalit. We'll leave the Rashi. Pasuk Yud Dalit. Hashem Yilachem Lachem Vatem Tacharishun. God will fight for you and you will be silent. Hashem Yilachem Lachem Rashi. You see the last narrow line in the Rashi? Bishvil Chem. Vachem Ki Hashem Nilcham Lachem. In other words, this formulation, Hashem Yilachem Lachem, God will fight for you. Uh, this is a kind of common formulation in different, slightly different ways, found in different places in the Tanakh. You know that Rashi was a big fan of the Machberet Menachem, it's called. You know there's a street nearby here, Menachem Ben Saruk. You know where that street is? <laughs> you know that this is the neighborhood of Rishonim? Right, you know, that that's how the streets are. In the olden times, you know, people had this idea. So the Rechavia, all the streets in Rechavia are Rishonim. So Menachem Ben Saruk is a, like an, an unknown Rishon. And he gets an unknown street. <laughs> if you go down, if you go down Metudela from uh, someplace, like, what's that street that Wolfson is on? Diskin. You go from Diskin into Metudela and you go around the, the, the turn there. So you can make a, a parsa. Like there's this kind of street that you can crooked street that you could turn into, that's Menachem ben Saruk. Menachem ben Saruk was a grammarian. I mean, of course he was a Talmud Chacham because he was a grammarian of Hebrew. And he wrote a book called Machberet, which in modern Hebrew means a notebook. And in his Hebrew also meant a notebook, but a notebook then was serious. I mean, it was a book. Today, a notebook is a place where you scribble. And those, and you don't even do that anymore. Now you have a computer, right? So it's finished scribbling. Uh, so Menachem ben Saruk wrote this Machberet, in which, which was a dictionary. Uh, you know, roots, words. 
And so the way he did it was he put down a root, he told you what it meant, and then he brought examples from the Tanakh of the use of, that, of those words. And the, uh, the Machberet Menachem was one of the books that Rashi had on his desk when he learned. He had that book. He didn't have too many books, but he had that book on his desk. And he learned, and he used it when he wrote the Perush on the Torah. So that's where he gets... I mean, I assume Rashi knew a lot of Tanakh. I mean, you see, that was once something that people knew, as opposed to today. People don't know it so well. But if you look at, uh, uh, you know, Drashot in, in, the, in the Gemara, the Drashot in the Gemara, full of references from Eo, for example, of incomprehensible psukim, but they knew them by heart. They knew all those, I mean, they didn't have a concordance. I mean, that's what I mean. Anyway, we're up to the last pasuk. The last pasuk says, Pasuk Tedravayom Hashem El Moshe, remarkable. Up to now, it's pretty remarkable because B'nai Yisrael don't know what's happening to them. And Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to explain to them. What is Moshe Rabbeinu trying to explain to them? I'm sorry. What is Moshe Rabbeinu trying to tell them? Something that they, that they didn't get, that the recent past history is an indicator of what's going to happen in the future. That's something, that was a new idea that no one had ever been able to kind of formulate properly. So, so B'nai Yisrael got out of the tribe. They said, great, we're out of the tribe. I mean, God taking care of us. Whack, whack, whack. Everything is wonderful. But then they saw the Egyptians and they said to themselves, how do we know that just because we were in good shape yesterday, that we're in good shape today. That was the problem of the, of, uh, uh, that was the problem of what we call, what, the, what Chazal called bitachon. Bitachon. What is bitachon? Not, not military bitachon today. Bitachon means that I can have, that I trust that what God has promised will actually take place in spite of whatever the reality seems to be. Now the Jews developed this. The Jews developed this attitude because for the last 2,000 years, it's even more now, like 2,100 years, the Jews kept saying, we're going back to Yerushalayim. They kept saying that. Now there was no reason in most of this period of time, I'm not saying that all the 2,000 years were terrible. That's not the case. They weren't all ter terrible, but there were many bad years in many different places. And yet the Jews... They never said we should change, I mean, the, the Jews who stuck to the, to the letter of the law, so to speak, they said, we just keep doing it. It makes sense to us. We're going back to Yerushalayim. In other words, they, they internalized the haftacha. That was the, the Jews, they had no doubt. They had no doubt about the haftacha, about the promise. Now that, where did they get that from? Where did they learn that? So, so this is the issue that's right here before our eyes. B'nai Israel look around and they say, we've beaten the Egyptians, we got out of Mitzrayim, we took the stuff as one thing, and nothing has changed. Here they are running and chasing after us. They have horses, they have carriages, and they're chasing after us. And they say, how could it be? How could it be that nothing has changed? So, so, so they could not move themselves to think that just like yesterday, 
so too today and tomorrow. That was the issue. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, you're going to learn that now. Right now you're going to learn that lesson. And then the last pasuk, the last pasuk, which is the first pasuk of the next parasha. Right, the next pasuk. Vayom Hashem el Moshe, ma titzak elai, dabel b'nei Yisrael v'yisau. Unbelievable. Who knows what that means? And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, ma titzak elai, the same word titzak. Right, what is titzak? According to Rashi, it's tefillah. Ma titzak elai. According to Rashi, previously, the previous Rashi that we learned, Daber el b'nei Yisrael v'yisau, speak to b'nei Yisrael v'yisau. It's like God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, what are you talking to them for? Right? Even though it says matitzak elai, but I would say, that would be a good, good thing. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, you start explaining to them that you're going to, what you see today will be, will be okay for tomorrow. Stop talking. Daber el b'nei Yisrael v'yisau, the only proof that can, ha- can be for this issue that they, that's confronting Am Yisrael is Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea. The splitting of the Red Sea is such a great miracle that everybody will understand. Everybody will understand. I mean, I want to go into it why this is a greater miracle. But the Rabbah also says that this is the greatest miracle of all the miracles, that, that this miracle is, is so great that it indicates it indicates that there is a special relationship between God and Am Yisrael, and that that special relationship is what fortifies the promise. So when God says, it's like, it's like if, if your business partner says, okay, we'll do such and such, so you know, maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't do it. But if your father says that, so you have greater confidence, right? Because it's different. A father is not a business partner. But uh, uh, so so and they will learn what the relationship between God and Am Yisrael is. What does Rashi say? The last Rashi. All they have to do is go on, because the the sea will not stand before them. Kidai. Schut avotehem. The merit of their fathers will be in good stead, even though they don't maybe don't deserve it themselves, but they're going to get the result of the promise. Vehem vehemunasha minu bi vayetsu Somehow, somehow this is going to uh, it's going to work out. But the issue was the issue was. Faith that God's promise exists tomorrow, not just yesterday. Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, we're going to prove it to you. We're going to prove it to you. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't talk about it. Do it. You'll never be able to prove it by talking. You'll only be able to prove it by moving them in the direction of Yam Suf. So this was the issue. And this was the reason that God allowed the Egyptians to chase after B'nai Yisrael, after they left Mitzrayim, and to sort of give the appearance of being a military power and able to overwhelm the Jews. And, uh, and, and the lesson was going to be learned. So this is kind of an introduction to the, to the miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf, 
which is not just another miracle, but it, it actually shakes up the way you think about things and the way you understand the relationship between God and Klal Yisrael, which was something that they could not learn in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. They couldn't learn that because all of the miracles that took place in Mitzrayim were, were specifically uh, uh, targeted against the Egyptians in a special place in Egypt. And when you left Egypt and you left the Egyptians, there was no way of connecting the promise to the future. So that was the purpose of Kriyat Yamsuf, the purpose of the reason it existed. It didn't have to exist, but it did exist. Now, look at the Ibn Ezra. Now, the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban both uh, uh, relate to this question of Matitzak Eli. The Ibn Ezra says, Yesho Mim Ki Hashem. There are those who say that it's Moshe Rabbeinu screaming, screaming to God. He said, God already told Moshe Rabbeinu that it's going to happen, that the Egyptians are going to chase them, so why should he daven? Even though it says in the Pasuk, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. It doesn't mean Moshe. Moshe knew, according to the Ibn Ezra. Moshe knew the story. It was B'nai Yisrael that didn't know the story. So the word Moshe, the name Moshe, comes in place of B'nai Yisrael. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. So again, you have this problem of who is being taught, who knows, and who's being taught. So the Ramban, you see under the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban, Matitzakalai, Amar Rabbi Abraham, Ki Moshe Kenegi Kol Yisrael, he quotes the Ibn Ezra, Shayutsu Akimlo, Kemosha Baba Yitzaku Bene Yisrael Al Hashem, by Yitzaku, right, the previous Pasuk, Vim Kain, Lama Ma Matitzakalai, Raulahim Titzok. So, so, so if we talk about Bene Yisrael, why did God say Matitzakalai? It's reasonable that they should be screaming to God because they don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. Moshe Rabbeinu, he did understand because God told him that the Egyptians would come chasing after the Jews. But B'nai Israel, they didn't know that. They didn't understand why, why this had happened. Uh, uh, don't let them scream. It's like what he says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, not Matitzak Eli, you, Moshe Rabbeinu. Why do you let them scream? Take them to Yamsuf. Like a different way of explaining the Pasuk. I already told you that this is going to happen. Rabotenu Amru. Rabotenu Amru, so the Ramban. It's like, like Rashi in a way. Rabban, first he's like dealing with Pshat. So he likes the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra gives him a little opening. You could say that, that, uh, that Moshe is not Moshe, but Moshe is B'nai Israel. They've told Moshe Rabbeinu knew, and B'nai Israel didn't know. And so Moshe Rabbeinu was charged to teach them. And so he says, continues, he says, Rabotenu Amru, Shaya Moshe Tzoeik Umitpalel. No, no, no. Moshe Rabbeinu himself screamed and davened, and I agree, this is correct. 
He didn't know what to do. Even though God told him that this would happen, he didn't know what he was supposed to do. In other words, he knew that this was going to happen, that the Egyptians were to chase after the Jews. But he didn't know how to deal with the Jews, who were frightened, totally frightened because they thought that the promise had come to an end. They're standing on the edge of the, of the water, and the enemy is chasing after them. And he davened that God would show him what he should do. And this, the Ramban likes this. And that's the, the meaning of the words, why are you screaming? And you should have said that, the Rabbah said, what are you screaming for? Just stand up and ask what you're supposed to do. You, the leader, what are you, what's the leadership option at the moment? I already told you this is going to happen. And the Pesach did not tell us what exactly Moshe Rabbeinu was screaming because it's sort of included with all of Am Yisrael. So the Ramban makes an interesting comment that there's a critique implied in Moshe Rabbeinu. A critique implied in Moshe Rabbeinu. I've told you many times, at least twice, that the Sefer Ikarim, Rabbi Yosef Albo, when when had to deal with the question of what was the hate of Moshe Rabbeinu when he hit the rock, remember hitting the rock? And so Rashi says he hit the rock, he didn't talk to the rock. No good. And then Barbanel, in a, in a lengthy excursus, the Rabbi Barbanel says, what do you mean? You go hit all the rocks you want, then nothing's going to come out. Why is it a Chil Hashem if he hits the rock and water comes out? You don't expect that to happen. It's also a miracle. What's the difference if the miracle is talking to the rock or the miracle is hitting the rock? So it's a mystery. So Rabbi Yosef Alba, the same Ikorim, says, well, that wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu's transgression. His transgression was that when the people came to him and complained that they didn't have any water, he should have walked over to a rock and say, water. Instead, what did he do, Moshe Rabbeinu? He ran away to the Ol Moed with Aaron, and he said, oh, the Jews are complaining, what should I do? He did not exhibit leadership. And the, the album says, who did exhibit leadership? Yoshua bin Nun. Remember Yoshua bin Nun? No? <laughs> Yoshua bin Nun, he was fighting this battle in Ai. There's a city called Ai. And he was, gonna, he was trying to take it. And the day was waning, whatever, the, with the waxing or waning. Wait, what? Waning, right? <laughs> the, sun was, the sun was going down. And he knew that if the sun went down, they wouldn't be able to fight. And if they wouldn't be able to fight, they'd lose the battle of all eye. So Yoshua Benun, without any direction from HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Shemesh be'giv'on don't be'oreach be'emek ayalon. He demanded that the sun and the moon stop in the heavens and enable him to finish the battle with I. So the, uh, the Sefer Karim says, that's leadership. There comes a time 
when the time for consultation is gone and you just do what you know is the right thing to do. That's Yoshua Benun. And so the chait of Moshe Rabbeinu, the chait of the, the water, right, was that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do what he should have done as the leader of the Jewish people and demanded that water come out of a rock. Instead, he ran away to consult with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which just allowed the situation to get overheated, and that was the Chilul ha, the Chilul Hashem. And here the Ramban says, here the Ramban says, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the Egyptians would come chasing after them. He knew that the Jews would have difficulty with that situation. He knew all of that. And he should have said, come on, let's go to Yam Suf where the, all of this will become clarified. But he didn't. The Moshe Rabbeinu started screaming along with everybody else. He kind of, instead of leading them, he joined them. It was as though he, Moshe Rabbeinu, was as ignorant as they were about what was going to be, even though that was not the case at all. Now what I wanted to tell you was the Shem Mishmuel. You see on the page of the Shem Mishmuel, I'm going to summarize it, because I don't think I could read it. Well, but if, if you have a chance, you should read it. Shem Mishmuel is the son of the Tzachachava, right? Also known as the Egli Tal, after a sefer that he wrote, the Shilas and Chubas of the, of the Egli Tal. So, uh, he wrote this Perush and Chumash, which is a compilation of uh, things that he learned from his father, and other Hasidic Rebbeim. I mean, it's Hasidut. They're written uh, like more or less the beginning of the 20th century, which is not such a long time ago, for the way Jews think about things. But it's not also, it's not today. It's like a hundred years ago. He says, he says a simple thing. He says, you have to understand. That does that, and maybe all the things we've said up to now are influenced by what the, the Shemesh Mul said. Shemesh Mul said, the Jewish people were not really prepared for Yitziat Mitzrayim. We're not prepared. Now he doesn't say what I, with this next thing, which I've said several times. And after all, you know that Avram Avinu was told by Kodesh Baruch Hu that they would be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. That means it would take 400 years, whatever it was that was supposed to happen. Whatever was supposed to happen to the Jews to forge them into a special kind of people with a certain kind of people personality, that would take 400 years. That's what God said to Avram Avinu. For some reason, it was determined in heaven that the Jews would not make it. They wouldn't make it for 400 years, and they would take it out of Egypt after 210 years. 210 is a little more than half of the original intention. And therefore, therefore, it's easy to understand. It's either said that the Jews were unprepared for Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It was physically, it had to happen because uh, Chazal say they were embedded in the Memtet Sharei Tum'ah, whatever that means. Sounds really bad, but I don't, I don't know exactly what it means, but I guess it means that the influence of idolatry, the influence of Egyptian form of idolatry was pervasive. And the Jews went to work in, even though they lived in Goshen, they went to work in, 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 in Egypt, Egypt land. And in Egypt land, they were influenced by Egypt think. And whatever else goes on, as you know, I mean, you can't avoid being influenced. That's the way, that's the way it is. Uh, and so, and so the, they were embedded in Memtes Sharei Tuman, even though the Rambam says he accepts the statement of Chazal, interestingly, that the B'nai Levi, that the B'nai Levi didn't work in Egypt. 
that they just sat in and learned. You know, all the Jews worked, they were all slaves, and then there was a yeshiva. There was yeshiva. So even though that sounds fantastic, you know, like, you know, you could sort of like say, well, you know, uh, can't imagine somebody has an, another, a large group of people enslaved and gives a small group of them the right to run their own yeshiva. On the other hand, on the other hand, what the Rambam is trying to say is that there had to be some focus of, that was special, some focus that maintained the, the nature of Am Yisrael as Am Yisrael, the memory of Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. It had to be maintained something. You need time. You had to be able to talk about it. So, so the Rambam quotes Chazal, but it, it, even if that Chazal is a little fantastic, there had to be something like that. There had to be some way of the Jews maintaining their independent identity, which is always a problem in the diaspora. But it's always a problem when you, when you mix with other people and they're the majority. So maintaining a separate identity is not easy. Not easy, we'll always say, like, you know, the, like uh, America is a wondrous example, the, 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 which is why there, there are certain problems in America today, right? America is a wondrous example because everybody could, go, everybody could get in, uh, I mean, B.T. For Trump. Everybody could get in. It doesn't matter how you looked. It doesn't matter what language you spoke. It didn't matter uh, uh, what your customs and, and mores were. But the deal was that in a couple of generations, you're supposed to melt. That, that's the deal in, in America. Uh, and so, so if you were Italian, you came to America, it didn't matter what you looked like or sounded like or, or, or what you did. Because eventually, eventually you'd become an American. The same thing too with the Irish and the Polish and the Russians and, and, and uh, you know, all, all of those aliyot, all those, and including the Jews. Including the Jews. The Jews eventually became, you know, mostly Arabs, until t- uh, mostly Americans, until today. And today, when, when, when uh, uh, there's certain segments of the Jews that became regressive, right? It goes the opposite. We, we, some Jews go the opposite. Like the people who came to America, to America, Hasidim, who came to America after World War II, and they realized that in order to, um, to get, do anything, they had to learn English. So they learned English. And they worked and they, and they succeeded. And they set up schools for their children and grandchildren. Now their grandchildren, the male grandchildren, those Hasidim who learned English in order to earn a living, can't speak English. Right? They learn they only study in Yiddish. And they can't they really can't speak Yiddish. The the women can, but the men can't. Very often. If you go to that store in uh, that photo store, what's it called? B and H. You go to B and H, not everybody. Not, not a, but there are salesmen in BH who can't speak English. I mean, people who went to school in, in New York. They went to school in New York. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, a powerfully regressive kind of, of thing, which I think is going to be noticed sooner or later by, you know, you know like uh, anti Semitism is getting more popular these days. You know, I don't know if you notice it here in, in Yerushalayim, but uh, there are other places in the world where there are Jews. And uh, anti-Semitism is, uh, is on the rise. And one of the ways to be anti-Semitic, one of the things you need is you have to be able to recognize the Jews. Right? So some Jews, 
look like other people. And some Jews don't. <laughs> you know, so you gotta, at any event, so the, so, uh, the Shemesh Shemesh says that the Jews were not prepared for Yitziat Mitzrayim. They weren't, uh, they weren't able to, uh, to connect to this important feature of the relationship between God and Am Yisrael, which is that the promise, the Haftacha, once made, will surely be, will surely be kept. The promise will surely be kept. And even if the reality seems to deny the possibility of that, of that, that the promise will be kept, and I, 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 I won't say, it, it, it nevertheless, that is what faith is. That is what faith is. It was the, the, the Ramban and other Rishonim discussing the, the, the nature of faith say that, well, you know, Jews have faith that God created the world, for example. But, but that's an easy one, that God created the world. I mean, okay, God created the world. It's even, it's not unreasonable to say that God created the world and it doesn't affect anything in my, in my world view, not really. There's no reason that people who, a person who believes that God created the world and another person who doesn't believe that God created the world can't have a reasonable conversation on almost any topic that could, that could come up. So that's the first thing, the first thing that, we, that we believe. But beyond that, beyond that, we believe that there is an interactive factor between God and the world that he created. Now that's a whole different story. That has nothing to do with creation, right? You know, you can say God created the world and it's like anything else, like a Lego set. You, you build something and it goes by itself. But, but the Jews learned to believe that there is some notion of interactivity between God and the world that was created, that God doesn't let go that there is some kind of connection. And that notion of interactivity when it comes to B'nai Yisrael is the promise. That's the, and bitachon is the belief that the promise is effective at all times. Always effective. And even especially in those times when it seems that the, that the promise, that the promise could never happen. That, that everybody, everything is being destroyed, everything is being uh, uh, torn asunder. All at those times, at those times, the, the fact of the promise is what keeps Am Yisrael going as Am Yisrael. Otherwise, we would have resigned, we would have resigned long ago because that's, so this is the Shei Mishmuel. This is the idea that the Shei Mishmuel presents in order to understand uh, what's going on. So Ma, as we said before, the, the Shemi Shmuel is the author of this understanding. Why Davin? Why Davin? Because you Davin for something that you don't have. Somebody, it's very sick. You Davin for a cure. It's something that you don't have. But you don't Davin for what you have. You don't Davin for what you have. Because what you have in this case is a promise. The promise that B'nai Yisrael are going to get the Torah and go to Eretz Yisrael. That's a promise. So you can't daven to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's like davening for rain when it's raining. Right? The Gemara says you, you can't daven for something that's happening while it's happening. And you can't daven for something that's never going to happen. So if you have the rain, 
if you have the rain. It's raining. So you're not going to tell him for rain. So if you have the promise that you're going to get out of Egypt, that you're going to go to Har Sinai, that you're going to go to Eretz Kedat, so you don't daven for any of those things. So all of the problems, all the problems that B'nai Israel had in the desert that we will learn about are the result of the fact that they, that they misunderstand the fragility of history versus the permanence of the promise. It was they would always say, look at the situation we're in, how terrible it is. That's what they, they would say. And therefore, how do we depend on the promise? But if you have a different, if you've been educated in a different way, you say, we have the promise. And the fragility of the situation is not really relevant because everything is fragile. Like our whole existence is fragile. But the promise is something that is, that is, that is fixed. It's like the difference between Pshat and Drash. Right, you know that, that the, the pshat changes all the time. Pshat always changes. A new, a new language, a new way of thinking about things. You make up a new pshat. But a drash, that's what Chazal said. Finished. They said it, they said it, it's there, it's fixed. It's fixed in your, in, uh, in, in, in your system of learning. So this is what, uh, this is what's happening to the day you saw me says, right. And it probably created an awareness. And it created awareness in, area, in Am Yisrael of what they were lacking, which was then uh, 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 corrected by Kriyat Yamsuf. And the response, of course, right, the response, of course, was Shirat Hayam. And what is Shirat Hayam? Shirat Hayam, as opposed to Titzak Eli. I told you before that Titzak Eli is a wordless scream, right? And and Shatayam is the exalted use of words, right? It's it's uh, uh, like the Gemara says. It, it's it's uh, there's a there's this response. Ashira Lashem Kiga Oga Asus Like people want to be involved. Moshe Rabbeinu he says a pasuk and everybody else responds. He says another pasuk and everybody else responds. It's like it's like they like you're captivated by words. It's the opposite of matitzake life. The opposite of matitzake life, that you, where, you, where you don't have the words to express what you, what you mean to say. Shiratayam is, the, is the, the graceful and blissful use of words to express uh, thanksgiving to HaKadosh Baruch, which is only possible. I mean, how can you thank God unless you're sure that God is with you? It's just, the deal with God is not about what happened. The thanksgiving is not about, uh, it's not a quid pro quo. Thanksgiving is, I want to relate to God. I want to say something about God. I want to say something about the way I understand my relationship. That's what thanksgiving is. So, uh, so that's what happened in the parish of Bishalach.